Welcome to the Kind Faith Bible Podcast. Conversations about how we read the Bible for newcomers and nerds alike. Hey everybody, welcome to the Kind Faith. We are doing a Bible podcast and this podcast is for Bible nerds and Bible newbies. So we hope that this is helpful. Sometimes we go pretty darn deep into the into the thick stuff, but um, we try to bring you back up and have it make sense at the end, I think. Yeah, I think we have fun with it. Yeah, we're doing good. We're in the middle of a series. We're talking about the Bible's perspective on women. And overall, a couple things to say about this. One is this, this whole discussion is not uh, central to faith. It, this is one of those things where good believing Christians disagree. It's super important to talk about. It's really important for us to try and get right. Um, however, if you have different views than us on this, it doesn't mean you're less of a Christian in any way. So we want you to know that. The other thing we want you to know is is that in all of this, our desire is to is to bring a solid, full biblical lens and to begin to set aside some of the pretext or some of the preconceived ideas we've brought to scripture. And so as we walk through these things, we know that um, we might be touching on some sensitive issues, but as you get poked at, maybe the first question before you get outraged is, hmm, am I being poked at in an area that I have a preconceived idea that isn't necessarily biblical? It's always a great question to ask. I know I ask it of myself. And feel free to poke back at us. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we talked last, last episode about women in, in Genesis, particularly chapters 1 through 4, and, and landed on a conclusion that, that from Genesis chapter 1 through 4, God's preference for men and women is that they would have that they would be partners together, that the woman would be a helper to the man, the man would be a helper as well, that they would be mutual in their relationship as they rule over the earth. And there's a lot. So go back and listen to that if you need to listen to it again. But now we're going to turn into the New Testament and talk about the understanding of women in the New Testament. And as we dive into this, can I? is this statement true? I'll just ask you the question. Is this statement true? The reason why the Bible isn't fully balanced around women and men is due to the cultural context of the male-dominated cultures in which the Bible was originally written. That's a great question. I've thought about that. The, so we are, we are dealing with an ancient culture even even more ancient when you're in the Old Testament, it's it's very patriarchal, which means male dominated, all that. Um, I I've noticed this though, and maybe we'll get into this even in future weeks. There's a sense there's, it's rarer, right? And so if you're in a an ancient agricultural society uh, or hunter gatherer society, it it is typically the, the 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 men who are out doing the harder work, hunting, things like that. There, there, were, there were maybe some clear roles uh, where today in our culture where you don't need physical strength to succeed in the world, there's, there's a sense that those lines are blurring in different ways. But one thing that I've noticed, there's, there's at least, while it's rare, there's moments where women clearly are at the top of the society. You've got 
Deborah in the book of Judges, or uh, one of my favorites is 2 Kings 22, where the King Josiah um, calls upon a prophet, Huldah, a woman, and her words ignite a revival, one of the greatest revivals in all of Israel's history. So there's these little snapshots of, wow, these women clearly had a huge voice that Huldah's speaking to the king and all that. Um, and while it was rare, it was not seen as outlandish or wrong. Like maybe some, somehow their society, while they, they, they weren't actively promoting, we need to make sure we have an equal balance of women and men in all roles, that when it happened, it wasn't like, oh, we need to fight against this. This is wrong. Where in our culture today, that seems to be the take. Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah, there's a weird, there's an aspect today because it's more on the forefront that people are fighting against it. Oh, uh, a woman is taking a leadership role and we need to like put her, put her down somehow. Where in the right. ancient world, it was more rare be just because of that society. But when it did happen, it, it wasn't as shocking, it feels like. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm- it totally makes sense. When you think about all the accounts of women in leadership, in the Old Testament particularly, there's, there's no uh, outrage. Right. You never see any, anybody speaking against or outrage to the actual reality of what's happened. It, and, that, and that is a great reality, that in that agrarian society, there it would be more natural that the public leadership roles would would land on males more often not because they were more capable of it but because that's just the way that the societal structure was was created and yeah. scripture comes to us out of that context so it it is important to know that even though um our desire is that we would see this fully balanced reality reflected in scripture it was written to speak to and bring transformation to the community that it was being delivered to in that moment and then to us. And so knowing that, it's it's going to, to lean more toward um, the male yeah. role in, in leadership. And so that's just an important background piece. wanted to let everybody yeah. know. As we turn to the New Testament, let me just ask this next question. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. If Jesus was all for women, which a lot of people say he was, why did he only choose 12 dudes? Yeah. Why Jesus appointed 12 disciples, later called apostles, and they were all men. That's a good, that's a good place to start, for sure. Uh, the, the answer, it, it's rooted in what Jesus is actually doing. Jesus is coming as the the Messiah for Israel, as the God Yahweh come to redeem his people. And the things he does, the things he says, all through the all four gospels, he's doing and saying the things that the Old Testament said Yahweh was going to come and do and say. And and part of that was to reform the people of Israel around himself. Uh, It's really important, actually. So symbolically, that those 12 men become a symbolic <clears throat> reconstitution of the people of Israel who rebelled against God and God had made a covenant with them to bless the whole world. In their rebellion, they were sent into exile, but God kept promising, but one day I'm going to come and gather you back. And so for uh, an ancient rabbi prophet figure named Jesus to come and start doing these things and call specifically 12 around himself, everyone would have been like, what is he doing? Yeah, and it even begs back to Abraham's 
12 sons. Yeah, that's so why, that's where it all comes from. That's yeah. where it all starts. And so, so the, 12... the, the, the male nature of the disciples isn't a statement of Jesus's preference for who he wants in leadership. Correct. It is a statement of his identity as the coming Messiah. Yeah, and it's, it's significant even that he, he could have chosen 11 guys and said, hey, I'll be the stand-in for Judah because Judah was the tribe where the kings come from, right? So there's 12 tribes of Israel, 12, 12 patriarchs, um, and Judah was the king, and he, he's called the son of David. It would have made sense if he was purely just a human um, walking around. He, he should have actually picked 11 guys, and he was the 12th. But he's in the middle of the 12, which is such a symbolic thing, saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm here to bring Israel back. Uh, and, and yeah, the 12 men, it would... It, if he's just a pause there yeah that's a really good throwaway comment for those of you like <laughs> okay that's a beautiful thing okay now back yeah, to yeah. back to women so it would have like it wouldn't have made any sense for what he was trying to do he's symbolically reconstituting israel if in that if, if with those 12 he had said hey let's change it up and i'll have a couple of them be women um it would have it would have been too much. Like it well, wouldn't have it, it would have been sense. incomprehensible. Yeah, that's. I mean, maybe not too much. I would say incomprehensible. Yeah. It would not have looked like it was supposed to have looked or communicated what it was supposed to communicate, yeah. and that was the work that Jesus was about. And and i.e. go go listen to what we talked about with the apocalypse. Yeah, it was about the revealing of the Messiah and not about principles of equality between genders. That wasn't the that wasn't foremost on yeah and, on the mind of the choo- in the choosing of the disciples. And so now with that, what we're going to get into next, there are clear examples of women being disciples, being apostles, being house church leaders throughout the New Testament. So tell that, us. So th- show those, us. Those twelve were not the end all be all of what Jesus was doing. Yeah, that that was an important symbol that he's putting forward. But we're going to go through. Yeah. So all the gospels clearly have women right alongside those men sitting at the feet of Jesus, being a disciple, learning from him. Uh, and, and so we're going to look at a few. I'm going to stick in the book of Luke, but you can find these throughout all the four Gospels. Um, so my first reference is Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 1 through 3. Do you have that? You I, I don't yet. Go for it. So uh, Jesus, uh, it, it says, Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Uh, and so here, one, even, it's the twelve with the women. They're, they're really centered, even in the grammar of the text, as, as an equal entourage around Jesus, who's doing the main work of proclaiming the kingdom in chapter 8. And these named women, they're going to show up again later, but they're, they're described as providing for Jesus out of their means. They were like the bankrollers. They're the ones funding this ministry, walking along with Jesus. And there's a, an interesting historical note. A lot of commentators would argue this as well. Um, people like Joanna is one that the way she shows up in the book of Luke, uh, Luke at the beginning of the book mentioned how I did all this research and I found all these eyewitnesses and I'm, I'm compiling uh, an, an accurate account of the life of Jesus. 
women like Joanna, and, and Joanna is one in particular that, that I've read articles on, but she's likely one of Luke's sources. Uh, and that's why she gets a name here in particular. But she was one of the eyewitnesses that he he interviewed, wrote down all of her notes, and then used her story to write his gospel along with many others. But Yeah, an important corrective to hear too, in that it is the women who are financing. Yeah. And that that's a very topsy-turvy. If you're writing a gospel and you want to put yourself in a good stead when it lands after it gets quote unquote printed in 35 to 40 AD, whenever it actually got quote printed, no right standing Jewish man would have put that sentence in there. Yeah. Luke, it would have disqualified them. Luke wrote the book of Luke and Acts. And, uh, while I said all the gospel writers do this, Luke goes to a, uh, a more extreme length to highlight the women involved at the very center of this mm-hmm. ministry. And it, 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 it highlights the women and it humbles the men and it, it, it's a corrective there. And we, we miss it because, well, that, that just seems natural. I mean, look at the guys, they're missionaries and they need some support. And in our culture, that's the way that would work. But, yeah. but that's where we easily miss what's actually being said there. So, yeah. So that's Luke chapter eight with with the women who are part of financing the ministry. What about Luke ten thirty eight and forty two? Yeah, so 42. this is a really important one. This actually makes it even clearer, um, I think. But this is the famous story of Martha and Mary. Uh, so thirty eight through forty two. Do you have? Yeah, I've it? got it. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I hear in this, and I don't know if this is where you're going with that, um, but when Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I go immediately back to Peter being called as a disciple from the boat, leaving his father alone with the nets. Oh yeah. I hadn't thought of that. That's, that's definitely there. You're right. Um, the other aspect. So, so it almost feels like Martha is stepping into what we would, typically think of as especially an ancient female role mm-hmm. her she sees well my job is to provide for the, the the meals as the men are sitting at the feet of jesus learning from him right and that doesn't have to be a demeaning thing she can fully embrace that part of her job she might love it but she she's getting riled up because mary is breaking boundaries here and the, the reason and it would be a shock for an ancient reader to hear this because um, women were not allowed to be a disciple of a rabbi. To s- and, and, and to sit at the feet is a technical term. Yes. It's, it's not just where she chose to be locationally in the room. Yeah. This is a technical term that she had become a disciple of a rabbi. Exactly. And so that's where we're getting to. So Jesus throughout the Gospels is called rabbi. That was a, a technical term, someone who was a, a master of the Hebrew Bible, and he would have disciples. And for Mary to come and sit at the Lord's feet is, is the description of what a disciple is. 
and Jesus doesn't um, say, oh, you know what, Martha, you're right. She's kind of breaking some social norms. Mary, why don't you go? I'll talk to you later. He says, actually, she's chosen what's better. The, the, the one thing that is necessary, uh, which I also think of the, the other famous story of the rich young ruler who comes and asks Jesus, how do I get eternal life? And he says, you lack one thing, come and follow me. And there's this sense like in, this, in that level of, I'm calling you to leave everything and be my disciple is the picture that we get of Mary here, who has left everything, chosen to be a disciple at the feet of Jesus. Um, she's Yeah, and, and in our context, this is how this is usually read. Mary, I mean, Martha was just overwhelmed. She had 13 dudes in her house. And so there was just so much work. And Mary was enraptured with Jesus. And so... Mary's cho- choice to stay enraptured with Jesus was better than Martha's busyness. Right. And that's there too. I, I would still say that that could be a personal application for any of us today. But the, the subversion even under that is what we're seeing is a picture of Jesus affirming a woman being a full disciple like at the feet of the rabbi, which would have been unheard of. So is there any other place where you see this being supported? Because that's pretty revolutionary. Yeah, well, when we get into the book of Acts, especially, um, but even more to round out the, the conversation around the Gospels, what we see, uh, all the Gospels head in this direction, but we see uh, the women becoming the, the forefront of the witness to the resurrection of Jesus, which is the central message of the faith. The Gospel is that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And Gospel after Gospel account puts women as the very first witnesses to that. And so you see that couple places in Luke. Um, so even before, before we get to the actual resurrection, let's mm-hmm. go Luke twenty three forty nine for example. Uh, this is Jesus still on trial and then being crucified. Uh, and at the end of verse 49, it says, And all Jesus' acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And the observation I'd like to point out, Luke especially is using these words of seeing, watching to, to emphasize. I'm, I'm building up a case here that we have some really solid witnesses. These are the women who were with him all the way from Galilee watching Jesus being crucified. And then mm, it can goes I, on. Can I add something to that too? Oh, yeah. The word for distance is the word macron in, in, um, in Greek. And this word gets used by Luke over and over again, the lepers stood macron. Oh. They stood at a distance. The blind man stood macron at a distance from Jesus. And every time Jesus invites them in and puts things to right, and then here you have this, this measuring stick. It's an it's a interesting thing that mm. he continues to do. And then in Acts, how does Peter... And his gospel, the very first full gospel sermon that we read, he says, this gospel is for you and for everybody who stands at a distance, mm. everybody who stands in background. That's cool. It's a call to unity, to bring everybody. And you've heard this. It's cliche to be equal at the foot of the cross. And yeah. that's the truth. That's and that should be true in our human relationships as well. But but we've held on to some, and we'll get to this in coming weeks. That's good. Why we've held on to yeah. it. Yeah. So there's the the women are watching. Um, I, I like that tie in to the Macron standing at a distance wraps them into that whole story. 
Then it, just a little bit later, verse 55, uh, Luke says it again. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed him, saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So they see him dying. They see where his body was laid. Luke is building up the case. And then we get to chapter 24, the resurrection itself. And they see Jesus, right? Yes. In, in, um, where is it? So let's read. Why don't we read verse 1 through 12 is just a great section to to land on all right but on the first day of the week at early dawn when they went to the tomb taking the spices they prepared the women these are the women they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they were when they went in they did not find the body of the lord jesus while they were perplexed about this behold two men stood by them in dazzling apparel and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground the men said to them why do you seek the living among the dead he's not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to the apostles an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Yeah. So that uh, we could. So we got to talk about this. The, yeah. This the the fact that women G- Jesus chooses women to be the first witnesses of his resurrection, and then Luke again has been building the case. They were witnesses of the whole thing. So if anyone's worried, well, they went to the wrong tomb, or or. Um, Jesus didn't actually die or anything like that. No, it's like, actually, we have a pretty strong case. We have an eyewitness, several of them who were there the, through the entire yeah. thing. Several of them have been named. And here, here's where this is really important. It, it, in the publishing of this and the public reading of this book, Luke has done himself a great disservice to the... Um, uh, quality or readability or integrity or whatever you want to call it of this book because women weren't accounted as justifiable witnesses right they weren't they weren't so to write that women were witnesses undermines what he's trying to accomplish building this strong case for the resurrection but he still does and that's part of the important reality of this that it it must have been true and the fact that they were accounted as witnesses were valued by Luke and the other disciples, which was a reflection of the value that Jesus had taught them in three years with them, that they are valid witnesses. It's not, as the culture says, that women can't give testimony. Right. And you see, even in that text, it, the, the first reaction from the men is that this is just idle talk. So they're still um, a part of their culture thinking, oh, what? We can't trust Wishful this. Wishful thinking. But when they come face to face with the risen Jesus in the next chat, in the next part of this story, now ev- as everything comes together and we're starting with Jesus is actually uh, intentionally choosing these women and putting them as at the forefront. They've been called the apostles to the apostles. The, the word apostle means sent one. And the, the ones sent with the message that Jesus is alive. The first ones with that message were this group of women. It's such a powerful statement. Uh, on God's behalf. And, and it, it's like he's drawing the men who, yeah, their first reaction was that can't be true. Now they start to realize, and upon reflection, by the time Luke's writing his story, they're realizing, oh no, these are the solid witnesses to the resurrection. Right. And that's how Luke draws it. So let's step back and say, okay, 
So I don't believe women should have any authority over men to teach. Yeah. This doesn't convince me. Sure. Did the women have authority to teach? Well, and from where did their authority come? From where did their, yeah, from where did their authority come? Okay, from Jesus. He's standing in front of them. And what, what more important thing do we get authority to teach other than Jesus is alive? That is the crucial message that any one of us who has been called into ministry, that's our primary task is to proclaim the, the truth that Jesus is alive. And they, by, from the risen Jesus himself, are told, go and tell the others. So, so Jesus commands them. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I, you know, that was a baiting you question, right? But, but also isn't teaching that you learn something and you pass it on? Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, that's all that it is. It's not, or maybe you discovered something and you pass it on, but these women are teaching men. Yeah. It doesn't call them pastors and it doesn't call them preachers. So the titles aren't there. So maybe you can take issue there, but the truth is the disciples have no clue and then they're clued in. Yeah. And that's teaching. Yeah. And again, and we're going to get some of the specific verses that have been used into some of the, the letters uh, in next next episode. Oh, I can't wait because so we got to talk about women in the back of the room I discovered being totally, quiet. Yeah. But th- mm-hmm. this conversation I think is an important precursor to that because it sets the foundation from the narrative itself. You're seeing women uh, put into positions of authority and in and, and important roles that they wouldn't have been given in, in the society at the time. And so God is actually taking them to a level and, and giving them tasks. They're, they're, they are serving their disciples, their apostles in all but name at this point. Um, so we got to get there. So there, yeah, that's a huge one. And one of the, when, when you talk about apologetics is the defense of our faith. One of the clearest uh, defenses for the validity of the resurrection that that many have used is the fact that it was women who were given that first witness because of the fact that if you're just making up this story, you wouldn't have put that in. Right. Yeah. Yep. So So, good. So we've got a few minutes left. So run us through where you see women in Acts and how how, uh, you see women's yeah, role let's of do leadership there. Quickly through Acts, we, we need to land in chapter 16 of Romans, though. That'll be where we end, though. But I'll just do a quick breeze through Acts. One, there's Luke again is writing the book of Acts, and he finds reasons to put women into the story. So just even just to read through Acts on your own and notice when he puts women next to the disciples at the end of chapter one. One, uh, one interesting one for me is uh, chapter eight. Mm. Uh, so. Chapter 8, verse 3, this is Saul, the persecutor of the church, uh, before he becomes Paul, right? And it says, Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. And I was reading up on that, this idea. There's, there's examples in the early, uh, in the ancient world of persecuting a movement like this. And what you would do, you wouldn't round up everyone. Women and children would have basically been ignored. You would round up the leaders. So the, uh, and importantly, importantly, yeah. it's not like they had a lot of prisons or a lot of prison space, yeah. which is to your point. We were in Philippi and saw where Paul was held in prison. I mean, it, it, it wasn't as big as the room we're sitting yeah. in. So there, there's good, good precedent here to, to, to believe that 
the reason Saul would have dragged off both men and women is by then, even early on, they realized these women are holding positions of authority. They were high value they're, targets. They're high value targets. Uh, because again, if it was just, it was a clearly a male dominated leadership team, you would have just left the women and children and the, the, the movement would have dissipated. Yep. So anyway, that... And, and made even more powerfully true by the fact that, that every Roman soldier would have been wearing the lens of the men are in charge. Yeah. So to move past the lens to arrest the women when you don't have a lot of prison space or a lot of resource yeah. is a huge statement. Um, that's That's... Fascinating. And then Love two that. other, in chapter 16 and 18, you mm-hmm. have two uh, women showing up. So one, and this is, this is super fast. I love this, this chapter, but um, Paul and his colleagues go to Philippi. And the first person they meet at the river is Lydia. And it says that the, she's inviting them into her home and they start a church there. And so by the end, so in chapter uh, 16, verse 11, and then down at the end of the story, they're back in her home. And it's centered in on Lydia and the church in her home there. Now, it doesn't explicitly say, and she was the lead pastor of that house church, uh, because in the first century, they weren't weren't using titles like that yet. But it's also, I just kind of like point out, if if it wasn't for the fact that Lydia's name was female, like if it was a man that they had met and and it said, and then they went to his home, no one would even question whether or not this male was the house church leader of Philippi. Uh, the only reason it's a question is because she's a female. But there, it seems like the, the way the story is um, playing out, the Philippian church was founded in Lydia's home. She becomes the first house church leader there. Uh, that's backed up when you get to the letter of Philippians. And I, we can't get into this, but chapter four, um, Paul names two of the house leaders, uh, Euodia and Syntyche, two women who are called to keep the same vision of unity in Christ. And he calls upon all the church to help them. Like the only way that that chapter in chapter four of Philippians makes sense is if these are central leaders of the church in Philippi. Yeah. And, and I think you, you raise a really important point in that we, we're, we're missing titles yeah. and it would be so helpful if there were titles, but the truth for the movement is there weren't any titles, right? So there were rabbis in the synagogues there were presidents of the synagogues, and that was about all they knew. Right. There were apostles and disciples. So even those, those names were kind of pulled, pulled on themselves at some levels. It wasn't the the structure of the church wasn't formally established yeah. until really we get some of Paul's letters to Timothy. That's where you start to see a structure being formed. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of those early titles were more descriptions of what they're doing. So pastor is a verb to shepherd. Apostle means sent. Disciple means learner. And deacon means table server. Yeah. And so yep. they were, they became, and you can start to trace, especially you're like you said, later in the letters, it starts to seem like they're becoming official titles. But mm-hmm. in this early generation, they're being described by what they're doing rather than, oh, you went through the ordination. Here's your title. So that, mm-hmm. that, it does get a little hard to navigate a little bit. Yeah. Let's jump to chapter 16 of Romans. Okay, let's go to 16, Romans 16. Because there are several names here that we, we could talk about. The two big ones would be Phoebe and Junia. But even throughout... Where are we? What uh, verse are so we with? Oh, Phoebe 16, is verse, verse 1. one. Okay. Uh, and Paul is greeting. Uh, the way 
the book of Romans, uh, most likely he's writing, there's no mega church in Rome. It's a bunch of house churches kind of affiliated together. And Paul is kind writing... like the kind faith, huh? Paul is writing a circular letter <laughs> fascinating. to all of these house churches. And so likely most, if not all of the names in chapter 16 are house church leaders um, in Rome. And so you have... Uh, women like Prisca and Julia and uh, Trophina and Trophosa and all these these women are popping up within the list of all these men as well, leaders, central leaders in this early movement. But the two big ones I want to land on are Phoebe, uh, and we'll, we're also going to get to talk about why I really don't like the ESV when they... ESV can be great for almost every other verse, but when they translate verses about women, they just totally butcher it. Do they? Yes, and we're going to see it here. So... Uh, I'm going to stick in ESV, but uh, it starts, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the Church of Sencre. Uh, and that word servant is the word deacon. Other translations will say the word deacon. Uh, it does mean servant, so they're not like, uh, they're not completely wrong, but I think it starts to show the bias of the translators here. So um, that's my pet peeve. But I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the, of the Church of Sencre. Uh, what's happening here, Phoebe is the one who Paul has entrusted with the letter of Romans. Romans is one of the most magnificent books ever written, right? And Paul has written it, given it to Phoebe on her way to Rome to deliver it to Rome. What you would do, what we know of ancient letter writing, she was the one not to just hand it. She wasn't the male person to leave. She was actually the one to stand in front of the church, read it out loud, and then sit down and answer questions. Like this woman, Phoebe, was the first one to actually read and expound the book of Romans to the church. Uh, so it, like, what higher calling could that be? <laughs> she, she, was, she was the first preacher. And that preacher sounds a lot like what pastors do. Exactly. They and read she, a letter and then answer questions about it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's Phoebe. Great. And then uh, verse 7, we got to talk about that. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Now the ESV says, they are well known to the apostles, and they were, with, they were in Christ before me, and they could not be more wrong. Okay. No one else does that. I've read article after article. I've gotten to the Greek. Uh, let's just, I'll just... How should it be translated? Oh, man. So let's just go, what's, what's most people have, like NIV, right? So NIV says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been, with, been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Mm. So um, there's actually been an ancient debate where one, at, at certain times, not native to the actual text, but later on, people tried to take away Junia's gender and turn her into a man. And so there's some textual notes that say, maybe it's Junius, maybe it's a man. There's no basis for that. There's... We could get into the, the actual articles and all this stuff. It's definitely a female, Junia, uh, one. Two, uh, the, the Greek text is they are outstanding among the apostles. So Andronicus and Junia are named apostles and not just apostles, outstanding apostles, well-known among the apostles. There's, there's no basis in the original In language. Christ before Jesus. So the ESV, I mean before Paul. The mm -hmm. ESV in maybe their... Uh, they're uncomfortable with the idea that a woman could be an apostle. And so they've taken away her apostleship and said, well, they're, they're just well known to the apostles. The apostles know them. Like, no, that's just ridiculous. That's not what happened. Junia is an apostle and not just an apostle, an outstanding apostle. I don't that's, Boom. I, yeah. So, so they're ESV translators. Yeah. 
we can talk there again i i use the esv a lot it's 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 more literal there's a lot of reasons in terms of like a close verse by verse study of the text i've i've come to like esv more except for a few key passages well and and this t- can take us and maybe maybe we can end here and just make this comment and then wrap this up with a bow and that is that every translation is taking the original greek text and bringing human interpretation and english interpretation for us um and and overlaying that onto the original greek text so there's going to be biases that just are there as as much as every translator tries to be um uh, as pure as they can, they're they're not necessarily going to get it right. Yeah. So there's issues with every translation around everything, and my eyes are are open because I'm looking at it, and I can totally see the the bias that they overlaid on the Greek here, and so there 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 you go. Yeah. It happens. But all told, what's our takeaway? So if you're listening to this and you're a beginner to the Bible, and you're wondering why is the why are Christians so mean about women? Yeah. What's your takeaway? Um, I mean, we've traced through, so the Gospels and then Acts, you see women in the center of the movement. They're disciples. They're sent out with the message that all the apostles are sent out with. Uh, they are, they're house church leaders. Um, we didn't even talk about some of the other women named throughout the other letters. Uh, one, just really quick, Colossians 4.15, Nympha and the church in her house. There, there's no other reason... The, the the best way to that read that be is called out. she's she's the one leading the church in her house right like that that makes the most sense but there's so now when we when we get into the later part of the new testament and like the book of romans chapter 16 uh different parts of paul's letters clearly he is acknowledging there are women leading the movement there's an outstanding apostle uh, named junia there's uh, a church leader named nympha there's yodia and syntyche and so it's starting to lay the foundation that Given the the actual story, the narrative, we're seeing women in all levels of church leadership and function. They're 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 given that same equal status. Maybe it's not as uh, it is still rarer. If you line up the number of male names next to female names, there's still more male names. Uh, but we're still in that time period. It's not, and that wasn't their like biggest issue. They weren't saying, oh, this new Christian movement has to be a completely equal. They weren't a 21st century, uh, like, social justice movement, right? Right. But God is clearly calling and empowering women in the same way that he's calling and empowering men. So I can't wait next week to talk about the sticky passages. Because there's some sticky passages. Should women remain silent? Yep. We're gonna we're gonna dive in. We're gonna we're gonna unroll our sleeves or roll up our sleeves, I guess is what she would say. Roll them up and dive into some of those hard passages. We I can't wait. It'll be a blast. And um, we will hope that you join us. So like this, forward it, rate us. We would love it. Um, Thank you for joining us. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for listening. You can find more about the Kind Faith community at thekindfaith.org.